saves. It has to, because the Bible says so in 1 Peter 3, 21. We're not going to look there today, but I'm on the internet. So everyone who wants to argue, go there first. See it. Do what you normally would do. Go, why is that in my Bible? And go talk to your Baptist pastor, and he'll say it doesn't mean what it says. Okay? But it's right there. Baptism saves. So it has to. Okay? Today's sermon is going to be about how baptism saves, because it has to, because baptism is about Jesus, and Jesus saves. And everything Jesus does saves. There's not anything Jesus does that really doesn't save unless you're those who are not being saved by him, which means you don't want that, right? You don't want to be saved. Right? But otherwise, Jesus saves. Like, that's what he does. That's his reign. That's his kingdom. And to think that he would send out in his kingdom anything that doesn't save is a strange proposition, even for modern people who don't like the idea that water could do miraculous things, even though the earth is like formed out of water and there's waters above the sky and there's an earthwide flood, all this stuff. But then it comes to baptism, the simple water as we pour it. And suddenly, no, no, Jesus can rise from the dead, but he can't decide to baptize you instead of circumcise you and have it mean something like you have the Holy Spirit now. And why modern people have trouble with that? We call them Baptists, evangelicals, right? But they're modern Christians. It's modernism that they're dealing with, okay? Why they have trouble with that is because they can't see how the spiritual realm is actually right here all around us. They think there's nothing but wood. No demons and angels. Well, they'll, they'll write a book or two about that sometimes, but they don't walk around like there's demons and angels. And neither do you, because we're modern people, you see. And in the Lutheran church, we've just managed to stop our thinking about baptism from getting modern. But it doesn't mean we don't treat it like modern people, and it doesn't mean we don't treat it like magic, actually. A lot of times we do. We treat baptism like it's a single event, that once you do it, the baby's good, right? Now, we don't have to worry about getting to church all the time. Certainly don't have to worry about teaching the catechism in the home. Everything will be fine if we just get to Sunday school, right? That's magic too, kind of, right? We outsource our duty, right? So baptism is not that. Uh, baptism is a marking, a target. <laughs> it's it's kind of like, can you imagine that, you don't have to imagine it, you live in the devil's world, and God just reaches down and he draws a target on you. That's baptism. You're in the devil's world and God's like, oh, target. Here, devil. That one's mine. Right? That's baptism. And it doesn't stop the rest of your life and it's good news. Because as much as that'll infuriate the devil and he's going to throw himself at you in a way that he won't throw himself at non-Christians, uh, it's only so that you will see how little power he has over you because you are in Christ. You are baptized into Christ. Now, being in Christ means that baptized, washed, regenerated, cleaned. For those who don't believe the water did it, okay, leave that for a moment, but you're washed, right? You're regenerated, right? You're cleaned by Christ, right? Okay, everyone in the room should think the water does it too. Um, but that means also you have the Holy Spirit. And if there's anything I want to take out of Matthew 3 today, is I want you to see the person of the Holy Spirit there. You're going to see John the Baptist. He's loud. He's hard to miss. You're going to see Jesus. He's a definite contrast with John the Baptist. And then you're not going to see the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit will be mentioned. And then, well, the Holy Spirit will, well, you will see the Holy Spirit now, won't you? Just not the way anyone would think, like as a dove. And, uh, you know, I, one of the strangest questions, where does the dove go after the story? I've always wondered, does it hang around? You know, if you fly back, I don't know, right? It's, it's a strange moment. But more than asking, you know, what happened then in the vision, right? The point is that the Holy Spirit is said in this text to be 
inside of Jesus' baptism. So if you are baptized by Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form, if you can say, yeah, I'm baptized by Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit inside of you as a deposit and promise. And that means you have God inside of you as a deposit and promise. And other people who are not baptized don't. And if you don't think that makes a difference, then I'm going to tell you men and women are the same. And you'll believe it. You see what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit inside of you. And the introduction to the Holy Spirit inside of you we get here is John the Baptist, who is not what you would expect either, right? This guy, um, he's called by Jesus the most righteous man who ever lived. The most righteous man who ever lived. Well, let's, let's listen to this guy for a second. He's, he's an odd duck. He wouldn't last long on the ministerium of any church body that I'm aware of. Oh. Um, in those days, John the Baptist, we've heard about his you know, foretold birth and all that before. He came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So he's out, he's out in the middle of nowhere. How did they find him in the first place? <laughs> Is he shouting at the crows? You know, I don't know. He stirs a ruckus though. People see him. He's, he's in the wilderness, but he's coming and going. He's like a sojourner. And in one sense here, this is very intentional. You're going to see with his dress. He's a prophet. He's acting the prophet, right? He's walking around looking like a prophet. He's trying to not look normal. And as he does walk around talking, he shouts these things, right? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you have your Bible open, turn the page uh, and find chapter 4, verse 17, and you'll see that after Jesus has his temptation with the devil, he will come and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Same message. Right. So here we have the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed, but in a very, not Lutheran way, for sure, right? but definitely Holy and Spirit-inspired way, out in the middle of nowhere, shouting, repent! I mean, that's not a very American way at all either, right? Uh, repent. Turn back, stop, change what you're doing. It's not good. Go no further. Right? That's repent. Um, because why? Because something's about to be different. Something's about to be different. The kingdom of God, which has long been promised, the kingdom of God, which has long been waited for, is now here. And that is the person of Jesus. He is the king, king of the Jews. Is it right on the top of the cross? And the Romans did it for us. Kingdom of heaven is at hand in the person of Jesus, but that also means a new thing is bursting forth, a new time, a new era, where the old wineskins of the covenant circumcision are going to be be left behind and something really mysterious is going to happen. The Gentiles, us, us non-Jews, are also going to be invited to basically be Jews. Right? It's not about being Jew or Jewish by blood. It's about having the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob fulfilling the promises he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in your life right now, which includes salvation unto eternal life. Right? And that's all what being baptized into the kingdom of Jesus Christ guarantees to you as a deposit which you are to believe is yours now. And that believing is the Holy Spirit working inside of you. Again, the kingdom of heaven. That was just me going on that tangent for a moment there. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God's here to do something. And then it tells us, this is Luke says, that John the Baptist is the one who Isaiah spoke of when he said, end of verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. I didn't dig enough on that this week as I would like to, but 
what I do find fascinating is you, if you go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 15, you'll find that Solomon in his treatise on, I think, I think it's a treatise on ontology. It's, it's on how things work, kind of, right? It's the way it really is, is Ecclesiastes. Um, and he says this one call-out line, he says, you cannot make the crooked straight. You cannot make the crooked straight. And now here comes John the Baptist, make the crooked straight. God's coming. It's quite a statement, right? Get your attention if you're thinking. Get your attention if you're thinking, right? And then people, again, are understanding that crookedness is going to be about their soul. It's not really about roads, right? It's about behavior. It's about your heart, right? Open it. Stop hardening it. And one can say, yes, but we don't have power to do that. I cannot by my own reason or strength. Correct. You're right. The Holy Spirit's already in you. So stop arguing with him. He can. He will. He does. Open your heart. Don't close it. John saying this is a strange one to listen to. Clothed with camel's hair, leather belt, food is locusts and wild honey. This is, this is not you know, retirement and traveling to see the grandkids. This is not the life this guy's on. And in fact, you know, he'll be dead before too long. This guy is blessed. And that's the hard thing to see. I really don't want to be martyred. I don't. I, I would really prefer to die with my children and grandchildren and maybe some great grandchildren around. Um, they can sing hymns. I'll just lie there. You know, that'd be great. Uh, but John the Baptist, he got it better in a sense. Not in a sense. He actually did. And this is so hard for us as modern Christians. We're so used to security that we can't see how maybe an early exit's kind of glorious. Kind of glorious. Now, it depends on what it's for. You know, only the good die young. Not true. Definitely not true. Right? Uh, but... But sometimes the good do die young and for good reasons. And that's glory. Right? That's glory. And so John, John's going to have that given to him, again, with his prophet's look and his nasty. I mean, do you want to eat locusts, even dipped in honey? I, I'm sure the protein's not as bad as, I don't know, I don't know, bad protein. <laughs> I don't know. It's protein. I don't want to eat it, though, right? Uh, then Jerusalem, Al Judea, all the region, they go out to see him. Why? Because this is Elijah. They're prepped for this. They're ready for Elijah to come back before the Christ comes back. And the, the camel's robe is just a dead giveaway. This guy says he's Elijah. So even if they don't think he's Elijah, it's a spectacle. It's like watching the news, right? And like, oh, look at that guy. Okay. It's just kind of interesting. I can't believe what he just said, right? That's it. That's it. The crowds are going out to see John the Baptist. They can't believe what he just said. And uh, many of them are. Again, being baptized, right? This is verse six, in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Um, not to go into too much detail here, but baptism was already a ritual that the Jews performed on non-Jews when you wanted to become a God-fearing, not Jew. So you could get closer to the temple, you'd get baptized. And John the Baptist now is a Jew and a inheritor of the priesthood out in the middle of nowhere, away from the temple, baptizing not Gentiles, like he should be, but Jews, strange, strange thing, um, for repentance, right? And they are confessing their sins. Those who are coming are saying, I'm not good enough as I am. I'm not where I want to be. And even though I love God, right? Um, I know that if he's going to hold me to justice, it just isn't going to be, it's not going to be paradise then, right? So they're saying that. But then he sees, verse 7, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, to go into detail on these two party groups, I mean, Democrats and Republicans, it's not the same thing. But can you can think of it that way? I mean, at each other's throats like that. 
you know, trying to get each other out of office like they are now, right? Not like it used to be. Like they are now. I mean, they hated each other. They hated each other. And they're coming out and they're like all wondering what this guy's doing. Like he's the, he's the wild card, the joker, right, out there. And, and he says to them, like, <laughs> you think I'm going to help you? Brood of vipers is, is his way of saying it. Um, uh, do you think I'm going to help you? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And that, that's the key. He, he saw the hypocrites who were just out for the spectacle or maybe out to garner a little attention for themselves. And he knew that they had no intention of changing their ways. How do you know that? I, I don't know. I think he was wise. You could probably tell by the way they talked or acted. Uh, and so he tells them, like, whatever I'm doing for you, I'm not going to give it to you because you don't really want it. I don't think they took that very well, um, but it is what he says, right? Uh, but he, and he calls them. He's like, look, if you, if you want to be baptized, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. It's verse 9. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these st- stones, uh, carnal self-security is the end of most congregations. You just start to think that God needs you, right? One of the great weaknesses of the Missouri Synod, across the Missouri Synod, especially amongst its pastors, is we, we use the word the church. We say the church, and we mean the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which, see, that's, that's not good. The Church of Jesus Christ, the Holy Christian and Catholic Church on earth, is much bigger than the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And why do I say this again? Because it shows how we think God kinds of needs us when he can raise up from stones new Christians if he wants to. That's the kind of preaching that's given here. Don't say to yourself, I have Lutheran's catechism as my my mark. That's not enough. Nothing you can say, I have this or I have that is enough. It is Christ having you that is enough. And this baptism that John is preaching is come because the one who's going to have you is coming. And if you're not in him, verse 10, the ax is laid to the root of the trees, right? And this is old covenant stuff too. You know, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. If you don't follow Jesus, you'll stay in Jerusalem till it's destroyed. It happened historically too. But then also any time that repentance is brought, that we are doing wrong and God gives us a man of God, a woman of God, maybe sometimes a pagan, to speak a word of wisdom, and we see that wisdom, and we say no, and we harden our hearts against it, the ax laid to the root of the tree is going to keep chopping. Jesus doesn't slow down on history because we decide to check ourselves into we'd rather be here than with him. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And this is terrifying. If you're outside of Christ, Fire is coming. I indeed baptize you with water and unto repentance, right? I'm, I'm, re- I'm prepping you, John says. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, which in the context of like ancient kingdoms and guys who bring fire, right? That's, this is like Goliath and above talk, right? This isn't Jesus so meek, so mild. This is the great warrior king is coming. I'm not even worthy to be his, his sandals bearer, he says. I mean, look at me. I'm filthy, right? <laughs> uh, I'm eating bugs. Uh, he, but the one who's coming, he will baptize. This is focus on that word baptize. It is baptized in the Greek. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, the word baptism 
is a word that always has water involved with it if you look it up in any Greek resource anywhere. It's not a metaphorical word. It's about washing things. And here, definitely, John seems to metaphor baptism, washing things. The washing he's doing with water just for repentance. He says, the one who comes after me, he's going to baptize. He's going to wash you. But when he washes you, it won't be just for repentance. It'll be with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And, of course, There's a lot of debate about what that means. Uh, Is this, in fact, a different baptism entirely that has no water involved? That's, again, what the Baptists will argue. Uh, Is it a baptism of water and the Holy Spirit, which is Christian baptism, and a baptism of fire and death for those who are uh, not in Christ, a, a washing of fire and destruction, like when Christ refers to his cross as a baptism? People make that statement as well. Um, But I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say, no, I'm pretty sure it's just baptism. Like there's only one baptism. We confess it in the creed for a reason. Like there is one baptism. (laughs) And this one baptism is Jesus' death and resurrection first, which is why he says a baptism he must undergo. And then he walks out and he's like, so here's some. And he throws water on you. (laughs) And we're like, I can't believe it. And and he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. But you will if you trust me. The power of baptism there again, Holy Spirit and fire. So what does... John here say Jesus' baptism will do that John's baptism doesn't do, which there's stuff in Acts about that too, by the way. And it's very clear in Acts, in fact. If you just have John's baptism, guess what you don't have? The Holy Spirit. Can you believe in Jesus? Yes. Doesn't that mean you have the Holy Spirit? Yes, but not the same way as it's promised to you when you believe you're baptized into having the Holy Spirit. And that's demonstrated in the book of Acts very clearly again in a story. The Holy Spirit and fire here. I'm going to go out on this limb and say, I I think that that's what baptism promises you, that the Holy Spirit will be like a fire in your bones. A fire you can't put out. You could try. You can go out and do evil stuff. You can go out and you can read bad stuff. And deep down inside you, you're going to be like, "Mm, I didn't like I did that. I didn't like that I did that. And you you can harden yourself against that and you can kill it. You really can. You can can put to death your faith. The spirit can be grieved and leave. But until he does, you're going to feel bad about everything you do, (laughs) especially if it's kind of bad. You feel really bad about it. Christians have a conscience that others don't. That's why when you have mass immigration, the most important thing to do is to teach those who come your customs because they don't have the same conscience you do, right? That kind of thing. In any case here then, the Holy Spirit in fire uh, you are filled with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's the promise. And if you don't feel like it, well, it's, it's not a promise that you'll feel like it. It's a promise that it's true. And if your feelings aren't aligned with truth, well, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? That's, that's a worthwhile conversation, but it's not in the text. So we'll go forward with, yeah, Holy Spirit, fire, verse 12, more of what if you're not in him, right? His winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Parables on the wheat and the chaff are going to be coming uh, soon enough. But uh, if you don't know, back before we had machines, the way you got the grain out of the wheat was you put all of it into a barn and you would use a fan or a fork. Think of like a, a leaf raking rake. 
right? And you would get under the, the, the grains and you would throw them in the air. And because the grain is dried out, it's fragile enough that it just kind of falls apart, everything around it. And because the grain that we want to eat is in fact heavy and the chaff, everything around that grain is light, the grain falls to the bottom and the chaff stays on the top and is so light that if you have some wind or motion through the room, then it'll even blow away. And they would usually have a fire outside the right, and it would outside a window, and it would even blow right out to the fire, and they'd take the rest out. So, the separating of wheat and chaff is just a common metaphor or insight from life about what Jesus is going to do when he separates humanity, the righteous from the wicked. Huh? And that he is coming to do that, to clean it out, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Hell, right? That's the word. And I'm not going to dovetail into a big discussion of hell now, but I I do want to kind of just reemphasize how much a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ hell is. Not only that he descended into it in victory for us, right? But also that now it is better to cut off my right hand and pluck out my right eye and enter heaven maimed than to burn in hell. That's a direct quote from the Jesus who's coming. Yeah. So it's a, it's a warning here, right? Christianity is good news, but for the evil one who doesn't want to become good, it's not good news at all. It's his end. It's his end. For you who want to be good, it's, it's good news. And then notice the shift in tone. Did you notice as I was reading it, the shift in tone from John, unquenchable fire. And then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. I get this just pastoral feeling. And I don't know if that's, I watched too many, you know, uh, Cecil Beale DeMille's style, you know, Jesus movies with big spread shots of Galilee and crowds or something. But, but uh, I just, it's just an, a different feel here. And, and John's even going to notice this. John's going to be like, wait, wait a minute here. This is not what I was just preparing everybody for. He thinks, right? So Jesus comes to be, to be baptized. And remember then this means to repent and to say, I'm not a good Jew. Like really, I'm a bad Jew, right? And I want to be a good Jew. That, that's what this is about for John. Huh? And Jesus comes to do that. And John's like, wait. I'm preparing the way for you. I have water. You got fire in the Holy Spirit, man. Give me that. And he already has it because, again, he's got a special dispensation as a prophet left in the womb, all that stuff. But again, I need to be baptized by you, he says. So we had a little conversation in the back here before church about how the world's a bit topsy-turvy these days, upside down. Things don't seem to be what they should be, and we have trouble even seeing the reality sometimes. And I want to suggest, yes, indeed, evil does that. And then God comes, and he turns it back right side up. And sometimes that looks upside down, because we're so used to the world being upside down that when you put it right side up, it seems upside down. You follow that? I mean, it's a little of a mind game there, just a touch. But again, Jesus is turning the world upside down. That's what he's doing. And when Peter and other apostles end up preaching all in the Mediterranean, they'll say, these are the men who are turning the whole world upside down. Because the idea that the cross and a dead man on the cross is sufficient to fix all of history and to bring you daily bread tomorrow, indeed, is is madness. If it's not true, truly, 
with everything else going on in the world right now, if, if, if he in heaven doesn't exist and didn't die and isn't going to bring us daily bread like three weeks from now, 10 weeks from now, I would not be here talking to you. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'd be getting ready, especially for the winter, this winter especially. But I don't have to worry like that now, right? And, and neither do you, because in fact, we're in an ark. And whatever may come, whatever winter is upon us, it won't be one that will unseat him, right? But you see how quick, if we don't have him in the story, how quickly it becomes a story of fear. Which is where if you have too many stories of fear in your life, the antidote is to put more Jesus as story in your life with your own mouth. Stop listening, stop watching, stop reading, and start speaking. Start writing. Pick up one of those uh, Proverbs journals. Did you pick those up at the event this fall? Have you ever gone through and like just started, maybe pick one verse on a page, draw something, uh, or uh, write down what you think it says every day, that kind of thing. Again, if you've started that kind of practice, you know how powerful it is, so I hope you don't mind me selling it again. It is the thing that is going to make St. Paul Lutheran Church, complete, it already has, made it a completely different place from many other places. You read your Bibles, you pray the Psalms, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So again, Jesus came to turn the world upside down and make you believe that you're more productive today if you stop for 10 minutes and just word some psalms out loud in Jesus' name than if you don't. That sacrificing praise to God, giving up time that you ought to be using, doing something else is acknowledging that you can't do enough and that he's got it. Beautiful thing. And so again, he's got it. It's exactly what Jesus says to John. John's like, wait, 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 it's not right. I can't just pray and expect results. And, and Jesus says, yes, you can. Although he says a little differently here. You know, permit it to be so now. It's very wooden to me. Let go. One word. Same word as forgiveness, by the way, and divorce. It just means to send away. John, send it away. <laughs> Let go now. For thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness is a word that we've lost uh, the beauty of it. I think if I say the word righteous, it sounds like an angry word, actually. Yeah. And yet I learned the word uh, from skateboard and surf lingo, you know, that you're like going down this amazing wave, six feet, seven feet tall. So it's this big and you're standing in the midst of it and it's going to throw you to the coral if you fall off and it's quite a rush and you get down and you're like righteous. And the guy's like, that yeah, was righteous, right? It's, it's, it's more than just a hammer, right? There's a beauty to righteousness. And so uh, Jesus is like, John, I understand. You did everything you're supposed to do. But now I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. And that means I stand in your place. Right? And it's beautiful. The crucifix of any other person, crucifixion of any other man in the world is ugly. The crucifixion of Jesus is beautiful. It's for you. And he has risen. Alleluia. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Some like to debate whether it's pouring or immersion there. It's a real fun one to try to read into the text there. Um, and behold, the heavens were open to him. Notice this. Uh, it seems that it, not everyone sees this vision. Right? I used to kind of see the picture as everyone saw the dove came down. Uh, no, uh, it, it seems it was maybe just Jesus and John. Now, I can be proven wrong on that, but that's, that's my study of all the Gospels. Yeah. Jesus and John see it. Everyone else kind of hears or sees something. Something happens. But it's like that other moment where they're like, oh, it thundered, or an angel spoke, or, or something. But no one else really sees the testimony 
um, that happens here. And, and you see this in the text again. When he, Jesus, had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Now, there's no mention of John seeing it there, but John will in another place say, I saw the Spirit of God descend upon him. <laughs> so this is how John is not a single witness. The Holy Spirit as a dove and John are the two witnesses that point to Jesus that the Old Testament requires. So that John can testify to both, right? The three of them together then. And from there, right, suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that doesn't happen often, right? Voices out of heaven declaring people to be their, their chosen ones. Except for that, if we take what we read in Colossians 2 and if you go look at 1 Peter 3, Romans 6, you'll find out, oh no, it actually happens every time you baptize somebody. Heaven opens and the word of God echoes. It doesn't come down brand new out of the sky. It echoes from where it was before, forward, through us, to declare whoever's being washed with water in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, which we know is the name of Jesus, uh, that that one is chosen. That you are God's beloved Son now, and he is well pleased with you. And that this doesn't require you do anything. Of course, if you're stealing, stop stealing. If you've murdered, we'll have to turn you in. You should do it willingly and with duty because that's what's good, right? So it doesn't mean everything bad I ever did never has ramifications now. But it does mean God in the final account does not hold me accountable. And in fact, will turn whatever bad ramifications I have right now into blessings for me, for those who love me in Christ, and for all who love Christ. And that's not only a promise for Jonathan, that's a promise in baptism for you. Every Christian, every day, you're in Christ. So again, with no more time here today, uh, you're free. This is the idea. And even before the water washes you, right? So let's say you're not baptized or you have someone who, it's not, it's not a magic stick. It's a step in the journey. The journey is laid out by God from grave, excuse me, from cradle and before unto grave, all footsteps. And so can you be saved without baptism? Yes. How? You hear about Jesus and you believe he's king. It's very simple. Yeah. Well, but, but then how does baptism save? Because it's more Jesus. How does Jesus not save? That's where I started. How, what, what part of Jesus is not your savior? How weird. Yeah. Uh, Jesus saves. And so again, to bring children to baptism is to acknowledge that we are Christians who are going to make Christians. And we'll let God teach the way he teaches, which includes the father and the home. Talking about the Ten Commandments, Jesus' life, right? Teaching the people how to pray. The mother in the home, learning the Psalter and learning to love what it means to be a godly woman, according to the Proverbs, right? All of these things are absolutely guaranteed to us in baptism. Take it home. Make it yours in Jesus' name. Amen.